We're all in business for a reason. The problem that so many small business owners have is that they go in 10 million different directions, not really sure which way to go. Listen as your team of experts, Jennifer Glass, Daniel McCrane, and Patricia Rezzatillo, go through what you need in your business to really make it stand out and benefit you. Because it's the bottom line that matters. another amazing episode of It's the Bottom Line That Matters podcast, where we are dedicated to your success. On today's program, we have a really interesting topic, imposter syndrome. A lot of people feel like they are frauds, feel like they are not really suited to be in the room where they are, or really questioning what's actually going on. And we have an expert with us today, El Grineal, who is going to help us really understand more about the imposter syndrome and where we go from there. But before we introduce El to the program today, let me tell you a little bit about her. So El Grineal is a communications expert whose passion for leadership ignited over three decades ago. She's uh, spoken for influential companies like Beachbody and others, her history spanning over 25 years with research in the neuroscience behind synapse receptor and the reward centers of the brain. With a degree in communication, training, and certifications in neurolinguistic programming, otherwise known as NLP, negotiation, personality type predictors, and other areas here, she's also authored three international best-selling books, with her most recent being The Team Whisperer. So, El, welcome to the program, and we certainly don't want to say you're an imposter, but welcome to the club, <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, so thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure, and I, I'm so um, blessed and happy that it worked out in my time zone, because I'm traveling, otherwise this would be my 5 a.m., and I am not the most pleasant guest at 5 a.m., at 8 a.m., I'm coffeeed up and ready to go. Absolutely. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. So let me ask you, one of the biggest things in business or in life, really, is that we get to a certain place and we start questioning, do we really fit in? And I don't know, and I kind of you know, the three of us have to defer to Daniel as far as do men really get the same kind of feeling. But I know women especially, we get to a certain place and we start thinking, I really don't fit in. <clears throat> I don't belong here. I don't know what I'm doing. And so as it relates to imposter syndrome, though, can you give us some background? I mean, what exactly is it that's even causing us to start feeling that way. Mm -hmm. Yes. So as a foundation, if you just think about um, grasping this concept, because a lot of people, actually this concept may be new to some people. They've not heard the term imposter syndrome, but it makes sense, right? When you hear the term and what it boils down to is when we grow up our formative um, emotional and psychological years, you know, from birth to about age eight ish or so, 
we're very susceptible to to emotional traumas because we're not physically um, we're not emotionally able to handle it. So, for example, we also have physical levels, right? As we grow up, there's things we can do as we get older and we become more coordinated. And so, if I threw a five-pound bag of you know rice at a five-year-old, maybe they could catch it, maybe they couldn't, right? Because they're at that kind of age where maybe physically it's possible. Well, we have the same thing emotionally, and so what happens with imposter syndrome is somehow we're conditioned at a young age that we're not smart enough, we're not attractive enough, we're not, there's no hope for ever getting out of these situations. Um, we see our parents in, you know, either abusive or very unhealthy environments or relationships. And those, um, those cause emotional scars on us. And so they're on the inside and we can't see them. And then 20, 30, 40 years later, they're still there because they've never been addressed. They've never been mended. They've never been healed. And so that's pretty much imposter syndrome in a nutshell is when we get triggered from the past. There's something deep inside us that happened uh, many, many years ago, and it's trying to protect us from being hurt, right? So if you don't think you're good enough, then you won't try. If you don't think you're smart enough, you won't apply for you know, a certain uh, job position or whatever. And so basically... It's, it's that part of us keeping us safe. We'll never be humiliated again. We'll never be embarrassed again. But now we're capable of handling it. And so we're just kind of tethered to the past is what, it ha what happens is we just get stuck there and those voices will flare up when they're triggered. And you mentioned men versus women and men definitely have the same emotions. Uh, it's just that as women, we're allowed to talk about it a little more we're allowed to say how we feel. So sometimes we think men aren't feeling that way and it's just because they've been conditioned to not be able to talk about it. Well, and I'm happy to chime in on that, being the representative male on this panel today. And for me, it, uh, and I'm speaking personally, so uh, this is for me. So other men out there, uh, maybe you um, uh, can relate to what Elle was just saying. Um, so for me, it was about being praised going through school. School was easy for me, but because it was easy, I didn't feel like I was putting forth effort. And so I was praised a lot for doing well in school, for being so smart, for achieving so much, but I didn't feel like I put forth any effort. And so to me, the imposter syndrome feelings that I suffer with come from, I don't feel as smart as everyone else thinks I am. What if somebody finds out someday that I'm not as smart as they think I am? Mm -hmm. I love that you use that phrase. So that's, that's, this, that's one way how people will know if the imposter is speaking is when you use those words, what if someone finds out that dot, 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 fill in the blank. Um, that's almost always an imposter, not your true source that's speaking at that time in your head. So as we talk about the imposter talking in our head, mm -hmm. is that the same kind of person that's always the naysayer in our head as well as we're talking? I mean, my daughter has taken to name the voices kind of like inside out. Um, yes. 
she's got Fred and Robert and Kevin and everything else going on up there because it's the easy way that she can say, well, her anxiety is acting up. Or rather than saying her anxiety, it's Fred that's acting up. And then she can actually say, Fred, shut up and kind of move on with what she's doing. But when we're getting those no, 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 we're not worthy kind of thing, that's obviously that imposter syndrome where we're not feeling that we fit in. But then there's also those, no, that's not really the right idea for us to do. Is that kind of the same idea? It is the same idea because we have talked ourselves out of a lot of amazing opportunities in our lifetimes with in our lifetime with those voices. And so again, it's more of a sneaky way to keep us protected from trying new things, right? And putting ourselves out there. But here's the catch. And here's the part that people need to really understand is that sometimes it is crazy stupid. <laughs> sometimes we shouldn't be doing it. So how do you know, right? When this is a, a time to dive into the deep end and when is it a time to just put your, your pinky toe in the pool and test the waters first. And the way you do that is through your emotions. Like, how are you feeling? Take a few breaths, you know, calm down a little bit and think about that. Like, I'm getting ready to relocate to Mazatlan, Mexico. That's a big, crazy decision. And so when I think about it, if I start feeling anxious, I just slow down, take a few breaths and I get quiet. And in my head, I just say, I'm planning to move to Mazatlan, Mexico as a statement, not a question. And then you see how you feel, what emotions come up. And then you can deal with those emotions because they're the ones that are directing you. They're in the front seat of the car, the emotions. And then when you can have that conversation, so it's amazing that your daughter gives these voices names because they're easier to say, hey, shut up and get in the back seat, Fred. Um, you know, then is just letting them run, run amok. Um, so that's one really useful tip that anybody can do is when you're trying to decide if something's crazy or if it's a super great idea is to just get quiet, feel the emotions that are coming up and then deal with those emotional feelings and work your way through it to the end. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. Um, when I work with um, doing some leadership coaching too, uh, working with leaders and corporations, there are a lot of, of leaders there too, um, both men and women, uh, it really doesn't matter. They feel like they have been promoted, but maybe they weren't worthy of that promotion. And yes. so I think already you've given us some great advice, Ellie. You've talked about uh, what do we experience um, when we suffer from imposter syndrome and maybe people out there have never heard that term and aren't familiar with it. So they've got these feelings of anxiety and it's messing with their decision making. Uh, it, it could be messing with relationships at work or at home. And we've already got some great advice about how to become, uh, begin to uh, overcome some of those feelings and to be able to make those decisions. That's great. And how does that play out then? Um, how, how have you seen imposter syndrome affect people's supervision or leadership of teams? Mm -hmm. Have you seen some examples where that's just off the rails and we don't want to go there <laughs> no matter what? I have. And so my most recent book is called The Team Whisperer, and it's successfully managing a cross-generation race and gender team. 
which is a challenge these days, right? That we're, that managers suffer from. And the book was written specifically to entry level to middle managers, because those poor folks just tend to get thrown in the pit and they don't get the proper training. And so one of two things happen. So I'm I'm so happy you asked this question, Daniel. Is that um, if if their their manager that brought them up right and promoted them is phenomenal great communication skills, they look fabulous, you know, everybody likes them, dynamic personality, boom, imposter syndrome is gonna kick in right away. They're gonna be, I'm nothing like them, they're amazing, people are gonna compare me. Instead of remembering that we all bring our, our brilliance and our greatness, um, so somebody, some people may not like that person that you think is so amazing, right? And so then you're gonna connect with those people, but we don't know that, we, we don't know that so many people out there love the way we are and our personality and and our sense of humor and all those things that are very as humans. And so what happens is when people get pulled up into these um, promotions and they don't feel they're worthy, this is what happens. They get extremely ill. So they some disease will crop up. Um, they They start having trouble in their marriage. Um, they start having communication problems with their children. And so what happens is these other these other things will pop into their lives that will keep them from doing the job well so that they don't have to do the job. Does that make sense? They don't have to be, you know, be in that space. Yeah, very much. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> very true. And I, I ran across some statistics recently. I think this comes from the Association for Talent Development from ATD that the average first-time manager does not get their first leadership training until somewhere between four to 10 years on the job. I know. That's crazy. That's a crazy true statistic. And exactly why I wrote the book. Cause I'm like, if these people can't get training, can they at least read the book? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's actually, it's becoming a certification. So, because my heart bleeds for these folks because they're, they're what keeps a business going without employee retention, it's hard for a company to, to turn a good profit every year. Without employee retention, it's hard to keep loyal customers and all re employee retention is just all about your leadership. It sure is. And what's that long running study that uh, is proven true year after year after year? People leave managers, they don't leave jobs. And that study has been done every year for the past 50 years and it has never changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I certainly don't want to dominate the conversation here, <laughs> Jennifer. No, that was good. Other questions? It, reminds me, <laughs> it reminds me of another story where imposter syndrome kicks in. So like um, sometimes a, a manager, a leader who's higher up the, the, the chain of command is say a great salesperson. So they're making the company a lot of money, but they have this massive ego and this massive ego is also a form of imposter syndrome. It's like, look at me, unless I'm performing at 110%, I'm not worthy. So a super ego is also imposter syndrome. Because if you think about it this way, so you have confidence, which is a bright light that we all deserve, and we all have actually, um, but all light casts a shadow. And the shadow of confidence is conceit. And conceit is like hugs confidence. And you know, a lot of times people will say, oh, well, they're so confident, but they're actually conceited. They're not thinking about um, people as a whole. They're not thinking about the department. And so then what happens is the company says, well, this guy's a poor manager. 
but we can't let him go because he makes, you know, he makes us tons of profit. But if you look at how much it's costing the company on turnover and what it costs to retrain people and get them in back out there in the field, this man, you know, or this person is losing the company money. And so I find that really fascinating that people don't realize that just because somebody's super dynamic, but if they're a bully or if they're pushy or if they're always look at me, look at me, that's a form of imposter syndrome. They're saying that it, unless you can see me and recognize me and compliment me, I'm not good enough. You know, I'm not worthy. And so they're constantly seeking that um, that attention and those compliments. You know, so if, if somebody has to tell you what kind of car they drive, how much money they make, if somebody has to tell you how funny they are, that's a person that's lacking confidence. They're not overly confident. They're, they're, they're afraid you won't notice unless you tell them. Wow. So let me ask you, and I'm just thinking, as an individual, the imposter syndrome, based on the ego, like you said, certainly stands to uh, make a lot of sense. But I'm curious, does that apply to brands as well then? You know, if we have a brand that mm -hmm. is in that I'm all over the place, is that brand kind of doing it because they're not really sure what they are? Or is it that the leadership of that brand is making the brand do that? And I mean, I'm just throwing out as an example. Now, everybody knows Amazon is, a major company and they've got everything, but Amazon is all over the place. And it's one of those 800 pound gorillas that when you start talking retail, Amazon is included in the conversation because you can't mention retail without them. You can't mm -hmm. mention CVS and Walgreens when you talk pharmacies without them. And so when we talk about imposter syndrome, not saying that these brands are necessarily imposters, but is that something that necessarily, or not necessarily, but it would be somehow in the ego, if you will, of the company in some way that they may not be ultimately good enough? Is that kind of that idea? Or am I stretching that a little bit too far? No, at first I didn't know where you were going with it, but now I get the question and it is, here's another way to flip it, to humanize it. And then I'll go back to the brand. You know how we have these celebrities, right? These famous actors and actresses and singers and such, such, and we see them and they're just so glamorous and glorious and they're gazillionaires and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But then you'll see them on an interview and they'll say, well, I'm actually an introvert. Or you'll see them on an interview and they say, well, I actually throw up before each performance and stuff like that. Because what happened is who they became as, you know, a personality is not who they are as a person. So that became their brand. So they became known as an action figure, you know, or folk singer or whatever their brand became. And so when they don't associate with that brand, but it's who they became, they got so big they continue to have major imposter syndrome issues. And that's why you see all these celebrities that have to go through rehab and they go through multiple marriages or they just fall out of the entertainment industry altogether. They're like, it was killing me. I've had, an, I've had enough. So they don't, they don't lead up to the brand. And so now going back to say Amazon and such, 
um, and, and as business people, here's a lesson for all of us. So we know the saying, the riches are in the niches, right? So if you think of Amazon, they started with just books. And when somebody sold a book, they would ring a little bell, ding, ding, ding. Some people, oh, yeah, we sold a book, right? To, and it got finally to the point where the bells were irritating and no one wanted to hear those bells anymore. Um, Sam Walton, right, started with the little corner kind of, you know, mom and pop grocery store, you know, becoming Walmart and Sam's Club. And so when you look at these big brands, they started with a, with a niche, a niche that grew and then grew, and then it became growing pain. So almost all big corporations, you'll see if you read their history, there was a point where it all went to hell in a handbasket and it was getting pretty messy and pretty ugly. And then they generally an outside person. So for humans, it's a therapist, you know, or a coach comes in and gets it all straightened up. And then they move on to that next level. So when you look at the mega brands, if you go back to their origin story, it was just one area that they were really good at and they polished that up and they believed in it so much that others believed in them and then it became the brand did that answer your question it did and i can definitely relate in terms of the speaking right i happen to be an extroverted introvert and a lot of people don't even understand exactly what that means mm -hmm. but I'm an introvert. And for people that look at me, they're like, no, you can't be because you're always out there. And that's what I mean, an extrovert, an introvert. I've got to, if I'm out there, I have to take a step back and just kind of retreat into my own little bubble in order to get over being out there and being on stage or what have you in terms of that. And a mentor of mine on a recent uh, program was saying that if you look at some of the best speakers, right, you'd think that they have to be the most confident people and that they would make, you know, that they're great in terms of what they do or a confident person would be a great speaker. And confident people don't necessarily make the best speakers because they've got other things going on in terms of where they are. And so when you look at all of those kinds of ideas, I totally get that. And just to go back, Daniel, to what you were saying in terms of the managers and leaving managers, not jobs, I had that happen in my own career as well, where I needed to just get away from my manager and um, quickly move to another position within a company, or else I was going to be out of the company. So there's a lot of us that have been going through that as we've been there. But as we look, though, at having at least recognized that, yes, we may have this thing called imposter syndrome, what are some of the ways, though, that we can start silencing really in a way that we can start moving forward those voices that say you're not good enough? I mean, self-esteem and all of that aside, um, how do we start getting better? And so if I back up just a little bit, I love that you said you're an extroverted introvert because I can relate as well. And in my experience in working with people over all these years across all different types of platforms is that 
um, people who are who are introverts but also can be extroverts have the ability to go inside and assess the situation before going back out there again. Um, whereas people who are only extroverts need that person that is the wind beneath, beneath their wings because they never really go in. True extroverts never really go inside to reflect and assess. They just constantly stay out there, out there, out there, brain run on 110 miles a minute. Um, whereas people who have the duality of extrovert and introvert have the benefit of being able to go and be quiet for a while and just people watch or just assess the situation and then go back out and say, oh, this is what I learned and this is how I'm going to do it differently. Um, so having the duality, even though it sounds like it would be more challenging, is actually a benefit because if you're a true extrovert, you need that one person behind you that's got your back. <laughs> because you're not really getting the whole big picture when you're out there constantly. And so then uh, now addressing your question, I have a nickname for imposter syndrome and I call it the bully in your brain. So there's a part of us that is very mean to us in our brain that says you can't have it, you're not smart enough or whatever, you're not deserving. Um, and so like I was working, I was helping a gal finish her book and she was writing a parenting book and I knew it was going to happen. I was just waiting. So at one point in time, she wanted to give it all up because she was crying, saying to me, Elle, who am I to write a book? I don't have a degree. Um, I don't. I'm just a mom. Okay. So this woman is a mom with five kids under the age of 10 who doesn't think she's qualified to write a parenting book. You know, and so we, we just can talk ourselves. There's a part of our brain. And again, um, the bully is really just, you know how in real life bullies are just really afraid and scared and probably their home life is very um, possibly violent and they're just finding these ways to protect. So the bully, like I said before, is trying to protect us. But what you can do is you can begin by saying, okay, I hear you so that it can't run amok anymore when you're when you're just letting it happen. So you, you face it and you say, wait a minute, I hear you and I don't agree. So when I have issues for me personally that come up and I hear myself saying, you know, oh, what are you crazy? Or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, I literally say, okay, I heard that. And then you follow that with, but the truth is you know, I'm now X amount of years old. I know what I'm doing. This is the right move for me. You're either on board or you can go. So you're going to address those voices. You say, I heard you. This is the truth. It's 2021 <laughs> or whatever. And you either are on board and you can leave. Now, the thing is, it's not that simple because our issues are multifaceted, right? So if for example, if we think we're not um, attractive enough, that's not just one voice. That's a lot of um, past trauma that, that needs to be brought up. So you'll be addressing these voices, but you're going to take the range. You're going to say, I'm in charge. This is the truth. You're either on board or you're out. And it feels a little weird to be talking to your own self that way, but it's the only way to drag those voices out into the light where they can't survive. They cannot survive once they're brought out from the shadows. That's great. And I wanted to go back to something that you said. And 
I'm going to use the word, even though I'm going to say not to use the word in different ways, but just like you said, I'm just a mom. And the word just itself is actually self-defeating as well. Mm-hmm. When you say I am just, or I'm just following up, just checking in, I'm just doing this, you're belittling yourself because what you're doing is you're creating that inferior position that you feel you need to use that filler word just in order to get somebody to feel less threatened by you. And so the word just itself kind of becomes a way of having that imposter syndrome, if you will, step out Mm -hmm. and put itself out there that when you're saying, I'm just doing this, yeah, I'm just doing this because I don't feel like I'm worthy enough of Mm -hmm. getting there. And so I'm just a mom writing a book. Who am I? I'm just a mom. Well, you're not just a mom. You are a mom. And if you take out the just, all of a sudden, that self-defeating aspect kind of goes away. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so powerful because I'm a word nerd, right? So when you when you when you bring out that word just, it does two things. And I love the way that you said it. So number one, it's a limiting belief. It puts you in a nice little, you know, a little pen where you're safe, right? Because I told you this is all about safety. So saying just just closes the hamster cage, you know, and puts you back in there to spin in the wheel, you know, again. And eliminating that. And instead of saying, you know, well, I've just been here, you know, like, oh, I've just only been living in Honolulu 10 years. Like what, what do you mean? Just decade, decade, right? So be mindful of how limiting that word is. So that's another way, right? To get over your imposter syndrome is when you find these words that are triggers, you address them and you say, what's another way to say that? Well, if there's not another way to say it, then don't say it. And the other thing just does is it allows us to be victimized. So, you know, the Nuremberg defense, right, where they were just following orders. They, they weren't actually guilty. It wasn't their fault. You know, all this blame. And that's what happens with just also. When you say, like this woman, I'm just a mom, it allows you to then say, that's why I can't do all of these things. It's not my fault. I don't have my degree. I don't have time to go back to school. Okay, now we're going down that horrible rabbit hole of everything you can't do. But it's it's not, that, and that alone is crazy because there's thousands or more of mothers with five children under the age of 10 that are going to school, right? So when we allow ourselves to be pigeonholed and stuck in the just, um, then it's easy for the brain to start telling us everything we can't do instead of everything we can do. And the best thing you can do is when you feel like you're hopeless, like you don't know what to do next, is to ask yourself, what do I want? How can I get there? Who can help me? Those are three really powerful questions. What do I want? Not what do I not want? Okay, so what do I want? I really want to go for that promotion. How can I do it? Okay, there's a process that needs to be done. You know, who can help me? Who can mentor me? And then act on that information that you got. And if your brain is so stupid crazy that if you say, 
how can I get there? I don't know. Who can help me? No one. Okay, well then you're going to have to just get quiet and try that question again tomorrow. Because the truth is there are action steps for all situations and there are people out there who are more than happy to support you, assist you, and mentor you. Hello, uh, Jennifer just brought up the question about limiting beliefs, and <clears throat> I'd kind of like to future pace this a little bit for our listeners, uh, whether they're a leader at a corporation, whether the, they're the leader in their own business, uh, whatever case they may be in. And I know sometimes that when we try to give up a certain belief or we try to give up a certain behavior, it has to be replaced with something else. But the reason people don't always move on is because they don't know what the replacement behavior or the replacement belief should look like. Can you kind of help us paint a future picture? What does a life where imposter syndrome has been overcome look like? Mm -hmm. What do we gain from overcoming imposter syndrome? What's good about um, a way for you to know, and I talked about emotions earlier, is when you're overcoming imposter syndrome is you can talk about how you used to be, you know, so I used to be insecure, or I used to be shy, or I used to be a horrible writer, or whatever it, it, it is that had you stuck before, and you say, and then you share your story. But then I did a mentor. Oh, but then I did this boot camp. But then I did, and now everything has changed. And when you say that, you emotionally feel radiant and powerful. So that's one way that you know that you've kicked the imposter to the curb, is that when you talk about yourself in the past, and you and you and you share the journey, because there's always a pivot of a switch. There's always an action, and that's what we're missing is the lack of action taking the courage to sign up for that course, you know, or do that thing and just sitting and talking about it and staying on the couch and numbing yourself, you know, with TV or whatever is, is what holds us back. So that's one way that, you know, um, and, and the other side of imposter syndrome is just what I was saying. When you talk about those things you've overcome, you just feel like a champion, like somebody give me a cape because I'm ready to fly. You know, I want my message to be heard. And that's one of the reasons why I help a lot of people write books, because people have such great messages that other people can read about and go, well, if they could do it, I could do it. Um, but again, we need our mentors. We need our, our, our village and our tribe of positive, actionable people. Because if you, if you better yourself, then the people around you who don't want to also better themselves will try really hard to keep you down. Because if you change, they have to change. And they kind of like the monotonous flatline life because it's easy and it's simple. And there's no ups and downs. There's no challenges, all that kind of thing. So be mindful when you go back to school or when you say you're going to go for a promotion. There'll be those people in your life who love you, who will tell you all the reasons why that's not a good idea. And when that happens, you need to say, yes, I am rising. And that's proof that I am rising. Yeah. Um, one technique that I've, I've seen and I've used some is we call it the I remember when. So you're at a place and you want to go and do X and you're like, I don't know how to do that or how to get there. So then you say, I remember when I was at this place. <laughs> Because when you remember something, it's in the past and you've already, you know, achieved 
the thing you're trying to achieve. <laughs> yeah, and that you survived it. Look, you're still alive. You did it, and here you are. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's the same kind of thing as kind of saying like, um, I, you know, when I was, and then I did this, and so you right. So we have these complex neural pathways, and what you know, fires together, wires together. And so one of the big things that, that I work with with people is that our language tends to be more about what we don't want instead of what we do want. And so we're getting more of what we don't want because that's what we're focused on. And we don't understand why, like, why aren't things going our way? <clears throat> you know, why do we have these obstacles? And that's because we say those limiting things like, well, I don't want to get overlooked or, you know, I don't want to be left behind or I don't want to be alone for the rest of my life. Well, what do you want? That's the question. Absolutely. And you know, here's an interesting uh, story that really uh, ties in absolutely great with this whole idea. So one of my coaches recently uh, put something out there and he said, am I crazy? I just spent $1,800, flew eight hours to Puerto Rico to spend five minutes with a man that, you know, to shake his hand and get to spend five minutes with him. And there's two ways to look at that. Did I spend $1,800, fly eight hours just to spend five minutes with a man and shake his hand? Or did I invest in myself and my future? And be in a position to set myself up to get something from that person. Now, here's the backstory. My coach has been trying for a really long time to reach this man to speak at one of his events. He's always been extremely busy and hasn't been in a position to jump on a call or otherwise arrange a meeting with my coach. And so my coach said, you know what? I know he's doing a program down in Puerto Rico. I'm going to go and I'm going to go over, shake his hand and introduce myself. Well, because he invested, not spent, invested at $1,800, he got down to Puerto Rico after flying eight hours, got a hotel room and all of that. And he was in a position to now, not only from those five minutes, he was invited to spend dinner with the guy and was also asked to speak at a future event. Mm -hmm. Now, anyone who's got this imposter syndrome or who doesn't believe in themselves is going to say, it wasn't meant to be, right? This is totally mm -hmm. not it, right? I can't get them. I'll move on. I'll just go from there. Or they're looking at it and saying, I just, don't have $1,800 that I can spend to get on a plane, get a hotel room and everything just for five minutes. Again, just for five minutes. And when you look at that, it's totally different in terms of the way that somebody who is dealing with imposter syndrome is feeling and somebody who really understands and gets it in terms of being in a position to get there and ultimately succeed. And so it really ties in pretty well with this whole idea of you need to stop limiting yourself and feeling as though you're not worthy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, 
And that story just so spoke to my heart because we have this dichotomy or this situation and like say, for example, for, um, for, for the unions, um, uh, a lot of times you can't get in the union uh, unless you've had a certain type of job for so long, but you can't get that job unless you're in the union, right? And so it's really like this you know, odd situation that many, many, many people overcome. So what happens is people say, I can't afford to invest in this, which will get me what I want. And that's the imposter keeping you stuck because you've got to take those leaps of faith. And then when you're there, you play, you show up. So here's what breaks my heart. People will borrow the $2,000 to go to an event or the $10,000 to go to an event. And the whole time the imposter is sitting in the seat right next to them going, you don't deserve to be here. You're crazy to be here. How are you gonna pay that money back? So when you make that leap of faith and somebody invests in you or you max out that credit card or whatever it is, you show up and you, when those voices talk, you just say, shut up, I am here. And you allow yourself to feel excited and happy, right? To raise your vibration, to bring that excitement into your life. So because this man was open to just having five minutes, his vibration was so high about this expectation that all that other great stuff happened because people wanted to be around him and spend time with him and saw his value because he was radiating his personality and his true source the whole time he was there. And so, yes, we must invest in ourselves. Like I grew up extremely poor in a trailer park, you know, poverty, all kinds of horrible stuff. And recently I just gave my sister a hundred thousand dollars because they're buying a property and they needed the cash to show the cash. And then when they bought the property, she transferred it back to me and we were chatting and she's like, yeah, pretty good for two trailer park girls to just be like, Hey sis, you got a hundred K sitting around that I can borrow. And then I'll toss it back to you with a little interest, of course, you know, when, when I don't need it anymore. And you know, that only happens when at some point in time you say, I've had enough. I don't want to be impoverished. I no longer want to be in a poor relationship. I no longer want to be unhealthy. And then you ask yourself, what's, what's the next step and who can help me? And then you take action. And that's what that fellow did. Took a lot of action to get that. Absolutely. And so when we look at where we are, I mean, it, all is about taking action. I know that all of us, when we're talking with potential clients, it's always the same question, right? I don't have the money. I'm not worthy. Things along those lines, like you were just saying. I mean, the four of us are dealing with it on a regular basis. And we want to help as many people as we can in terms of really getting there to a point where they're going to get it. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, though, as we wrap up this session and we understand that we really need to be taking action. We have to be in that real position to start going from point A to point B, getting rid of words that are limiting us like just and able. I mean, one of my coaches also pointed out to me that in one paragraph, I used the word able 13 times when I was speaking. You will be able to, you will be able to, you will be able to. And what she told me was you became an enabler. You didn't say you were going to. Mm -hmm. And again, going to your word nerd 
idea that again becomes something that is out there. But you help people in terms of really getting over this kind of idea and helping them really develop a good position where they can come from. Mm-hmm. And I understand all that you've got an offer for our listeners. And I wanted to get what exactly that offer was as a special gift for our listeners. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. So one of the pivots for me in my life was when I, um, through my mentor, discovered NLP and she had a certification training program in it, neuro-linguistic programming. And that's all about how we use our words in our mind and how our how the voices in our head speak to us. And when we begin to have those voices speak properly and supporting and benevolent ways, things begin to shift. And so I created a four-part series called Your Word is Your Wand, How to Get What You Want Just by Asking. And it's a combination of NLP um, and also the power of questions. And then how to shift the way that you were previously speaking in your mind into a way that you are getting more of what you want by asking for what you want. Um, and so for me, it's super exciting because the videos are short and they're you know easy to apply right off the bat. To me, if you can't use what I've given you or you're not motivated to use it, I have failed. So it's important to me to put out content that's actionable and usable. So it's for like 15 minute segments. Your word is your one, how to get what you want just by asking. So it, it's a um, quick video clips with homework, a little bit of homework. Great, thank you so much. And uh, we're gonna have the link in the description for you to access that four part series that Elle has so graciously made available to you uh, to make that uh, difference. And Elle, let me ask you, how can people find out more about you? So my business, I'm the founder of TrueSpeak. Uh, my website is truespeak.us. And if uh, there's managers out there who'd like to know more about the Team Whisperer, they can go to the teamwhisperer.us uh, websites. And I just, then there's all kinds of ways to connect to, to me, with me through, you know, there. Um, I, I'm True Speak on Instagram. And I just started a TikTok. It's going really well. <laughs> it's that, this, that was, you know, that was definitely impossible. You're too old for TikTok. No one wanted to watch what you. And so it's like, huh, I'm doing it. <laughs> Sit down and shut up. <laughs> and so anyhow, um, the best way, everything's on my website, truespeak.us. And then for managers, theteamwhisperer.us are the quickest, fastest, easiest ways. Great. And I want to thank you so much for being on the program today. Uh, For those of you that are listening, really think about what it is that you can do right now to start Mm -hmm. telling those voices, shut up, get out of the car, I'm driving here, and you don't have a right to be in here anymore. Think of yourself as that Uber or Lyft driver who just kicks out the rude passenger because that's exactly what those uh, negative voices in your head are uh, being to you. And so as we end today's session, really focus on one or two things that you're going to be doing today. 
and another one or two things you're going to do tomorrow. And before you know it, the more times that you keep coming up with those one or two things you're going to do to just silence those negative thoughts, you're going to really be in a position to be chasing your dreams and living them, not just Mm -hmm. constantly chasing. Mm -hmm. And with that, here's to your success. And thank you so much for listening to another episode of It's the Bottom Line That Matters podcast. Thanks so much for listening to another amazing episode of It's the Bottom Line That Matters podcast. We're all about helping the small business community grow and reaching as many people as we can. And the algorithms on the podcast programs love reviews. So if you loved what you just heard, consider leaving us a review. And even if you don't, I'm sure you already did, but consider sharing our episodes and our podcast with your friends and colleagues. Sharing is caring and here's to your success. Thanks so much and have a wonderful day. It's the bottom line that matters.